Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, our guest is John Gillen, who's quite famous in the space of buying and selling websites. And we'll be discussing exactly this topic, you know, how to buy and how to sell a website and for whom can this asset class be interesting. Now, I'll be taking the example of my dad, who might be interested in such a purchase but he doesn't have the usual or traditional technical skills associated with buying you know an e-commerce website or maybe a blog and on the other hand there's me who's more technical lots of experience in the field of web development blogging but i'm not sure how the process works with buying and selling these kinds of websites what this uh, kind of investment generates in terms of returns what are the risks so we'll go into all of these topics with john this was a really interesting podcast and i think it's a great intro to buying and selling websites for all of those who are interested so without further ado let's get started with this interview of john gallen hi john welcome to mastermind.fm to start it off please tell us what you do and a bit about your background Yeah, thanks. Uh fun to be here and excited to have this kind of chat with both of you guys. So yeah, my background is I've been building and buying online businesses, occasionally selling them for the last uh last 10 plus years. Started out as got trained as a mechanical engineer, uh worked in in oil and gas for a number of years, and then always wanted to move my my family back to our hometown and the the online businesses were the path to do that. So been buying and selling content sites for a long time have a portfolio and then have some businesses that are around that space um including some off on some different tangents like a project in the in the blockchain space that I've been in for a few years um but primarily the businesses have have sort of revolved around the the creating content putting it on a wordpress site ranking in google monetizing that traffic and then all the uh auxiliary services around that whether that be content or uh one of our more recent projects of of buying and selling content sites extremely efficiently at, at motion and best cool okay so as usually we have my dad with us and as we usually explore different asset classes that investors can look at today i would like to really have a general overview of this asset class which i'm sure pretty sure most people have never considered so I I think my dad will would like to take the the role of uh someone who just maybe heard about the space and is interested to know more and whether it would be suited as an investment for him or others without the technical knowledge that for example I have. Hi John. Um I'm Joseph. I'm 65 years old with a background of uh, finance. I'm an accountant. Well, up to now, uh, people more or less my age um, have set up websites because they couldn't afford to lose out, especially if they have businesses or they are self-employed. They they couldn't do without a website nowadays. And uh, everybody, you know, uh, when he does his due diligence or would like to find a, a supplier or a service provider nowadays, goes onto onto websites. 
To be honest with you, um, this is very recent that uh, I discovered this possibility that instead of hanging on to a website for dear life, sort of, you you can uh, go into trading uh, websites, buying, selling, and that's quite exciting. For somebody my age, you know, I've accumulated some small wealth. <laughs> it's interesting. It's uh, an alternative investment, um, especially if you want to spread your portfolio of investments. Therefore, I got intrigued with your setup. And uh, I ask you, therefore, when you say authority websites, because you mentioned authority websites, when you say authority websites, exactly what do you mean? Yeah, so, so generally, the type of assets that, that I'm most experienced with and that we buy and sell are sites that get have found a niche online, whether that be something to do with golfing, bow hunting, WordPress, whatever, whatever topic it might be, and then creates content around that topic to answer um, people's questions. So maybe it's, um, you know, golfers, but maybe it's specifically around rangefinder the sort of the best rangefinder so becoming an authority around this is a site to go to that will review all products around golf rangefinder so it's sites that cover authority sites cover a specific topic and as much depth as needed to answer the searcher's question about whether it be what product i should be buying could be what software i'm looking to get but it, it covers you know a fairly narrow topic with a great deal of authority to be able to be the best place on the web to to answer the searcher's question and then their follow-on questions from once they started doing that that first question that got them to the site. And when you say authority, the adjective authority, does this mean that uh, they are excelling in what they're doing and they are premium websites? Yeah, so it, it's it's meant that that you want to be Google wants to rank the best. So when, when somebody searches a keyword, the, all the traffic for these sites, the predominant amount of traffic, so we'll call it like 90% of traffic for these kind of sites, typically comes from Google. Google wants to rank the best. And so when we say authority, it's really about establishing yourself as, it doesn't matter if it's a like, you know, giant niche called health or a specific niche called specific calculators. You want, the authority means you want to be the best site covering that specific topic because that's what's ultimately is, is going to rank in Google and get you the, the, you know, get you the success that you're after with your site. Would it be fair to say that most of these sites are very narrowly focused on a specific topic? Certainly most start out, I think, having some success in, in a specific range of topics and then they'll, they can expand from there. But, but yeah, it, it seems to be to establish that authority you want to you want to stay focused on a specific topic and cover it in enough detail. John, the first question that came to my mind when I got to know it about your business is I was wondering, and that is if I had to start a website and I put in a lot of effort, I put on a website about you know something that I like, example, basketball or soccer or something like that. You have a deep knowledge, you go in depth, uh, you add, continue adding, researching, etc. And you make it really, really interesting. When you sell it, if you sell it, obviously your input dies out. Therefore, it has to be somebody uh, that, that is also uh, connected to these sports, for example. 
Therefore, the websites that uh, you trade, for example, the input of the developer, is it something that can be passed on to somebody else? So it's usually something that's unique to this kind of asset class, whereas a lot of offline businesses, the, the founder is integral to the operations of that business with websites. It's words that that are often the thing that are being communicated. You know, it's the content that's produced on the site, and so it depends on the site. Um, certainly, if it's you know, especially in the, like the medical, like the medical space or or finance space, that level of expertise is something that's need to be transferred on, and you can't you can't really outsource that very easily. But for most sites, whether it's you that had created all the content or often for these sites, people will use a team of writers to produce the content for the site. But if in the case of your question, if you were the one that had created all the content, the buyer would need to be comfortable that the level of expertise that was used to create the content could be continued, whether that was through uh, an outsourced writing services company, which there, there's plenty of, or whether they were going to do it themselves or hire hire someone to do it. So, so yeah, definitely they need to be prepared to take over that um, that writing duty. And and you know, I think a lot of people, for that reason, if they intend to sell, aim to have some mix of content that they produce themselves and content that they've outsourced, and then also use a voice that is generic and not like Joseph the basketball expert isn't necessarily the name of the site because it becomes more general and therefore a more sellable asset. Okay. Therefore, uh, I'm from Malta. We are living here in a soccer mad island, but once I was in Prague and I watched a nice hockey match. Uh, I think it's your national sport and I mm-hmm. was enthralled with, with the excitement that, that the sport creates um yes it can get rough but <laughs> it's very very really exciting and uh, let's say i start you know uh, a website on ice hockey and i start researching etc etc and uh, i start wondering whether i should sell don't you think that the fact that ice hockey is not played in the vast majority of countries i mean there are a number of countries, uh, usually developed countries and countries that normally have a cold climate. Um, it narrows um, the market, in my opinion. Even the interest that that such a website can generate with a repercussion on the price. What are your comments on this? Yeah, de- definitely. It, it, it changes the total upside for the site. Certainly the world's, the world, you know, if you, pick the most popular sport in the world. So let's say, you know, the world's best website on soccer is going to be worth a lot more than the world's best website on pickleball, even though pickleball is trending right now. So definitely, I'd say kind of two two comments to that are, these sites are usually being bought and sold as a multiple of earnings. And so a, a site on, you know, let's pick a, you know, hockey is, you know, Canadians that don't want to bash the sport, but it's, it's yeah, less, less popular than, than soccer. And, and so if you've got a hockey site that is making $5,000 a month and you've got a soccer site that's making $1,000 a month, that hockey site, even though the total upside of that, where that site could go is less, it's going to sell for a multiple of the earnings and the same as the soccer site. And so that 
that total upside generally doesn't get considered because it's being purchased based on the, the multiple that it is currently currently earning. And on my end, I would actually rather see a site that the number one site for a really fringe weird sport that I don't even know about. You know, like the I'm try, I'm trying to think of one that, that's super, super low, low popularity. Well, but that is one. You probably haven't heard of it in Canada, but super big in Europe. And it's a similar to pickleball, actually. And I think the the trending uh, moment of pickleball is coming from Paddle. If you look oh, into interesting. it. Interesting. I'd rather buy the authority site on pickleball than a site making the same amount from a soccer site, because I know the level of competition that's going to come in to that soccer site is going to be significantly higher. One other thing is that, okay, you, you need to have the passion, you have to have some IT background, you have to have the skills, you know, know the skills of what you're writing about. But then there is a very important element, in my opinion, which is the writing skills, how you present um, your content. And uh, I was really <laughs> intrigued when I found that one of your collaborators, I understand, Spencer Hoss, he describes you as the king of kings of content. What do you have to say about this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I work with Spencer, and I actually didn't know that he that he uh, he described me as that. Um, so we, we have a content is incredibly important. You can get really geeked out. The the number of tools. The prize that's on the table for ranking in Google is incredibly high, and the number of tools that have been created around helping content predictably rank in Google by looking at what else is already ranking in Google and then doing some correlation analysis and then applying like some artificial intelligence layers to then give writers a suggestion on what they should be talking about when they create that content. It, 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 I geek out on it. It is, it is really fascinating. And so trying to mesh the cyborg of excellent writers that are knowledgeable on the topic with all of this SEO, search engine optimization, how to rank in Google type of information, combining those together is a, is a, a pretty fascinating process. And we do that, he might have been mentioned referencing uh, one of the projects that we have is called Content Refined. And that's all about producing extremely high quality content that has a good chance of ranking Google because we use all of these tools at significant volume. So that business will produce 3 million to 5 million words a month from native English speaking writers or what native, whatever language writers that we're creating the content for. So I didn't know he mentioned that, but, uh, but my guess is that's what he's referring to. We kind of really geek out on the topic and then have a business that produces a significant amount of that amount of content. Therefore, when you get requests on a variety of subjects, um, obviously you cannot be a jack of all trades, right? Therefore, do you select what you write about or you get assistance or how does it work? Yeah, so we, we have a lot of writers that are often below capacity because we need expertise across a pretty broad spectrum. And so we do decline some topics, some health topics get declined. Certainly any of the sort of like family values stuff, like the, the any of the R-rated or, or like online pharmacy, kind of those topics and anything to medical, we decline. And then we also say that we, it's really hard to write in the voice 
that somebody's wanting to portray. So if a business is being very specific about the voice that they're wanting to use, we struggle with that. Um, and so, yeah, we do, we do decline um, some topics. And then we have project managers and clusters of writers that we know are great at covering the different topics. Okay, therefore, I can start my website. Um, if I want somebody who is more specialized that, than I am in my writing skills and to uh, attract the audience, I would seek the services of a content writer. Um, is it expensive to, to hire a content writer to write articles for you? So, I mean, relative, but, but yeah, it's to get good quality content. It's not, it's not a cheap process. So usually what we see is anywhere from kind of five cents a word to 15 cents a word is the range that, that writers cost. To get a site up to a meaningful size, you'll probably want to get to about 50,000 words. And so, so that, that's sort of the, call it the con- initial content investment that, that people are looking at. So but I presume that, that people would like to uh, see consistency and the style of writing. Therefore, I don't think that they should get doubts as to who is writing really and truly because they, they attach the website to a particular person normally. Therefore, how do you ensure that this style remains consistent? And do you subcontract as well your services? Yeah, so, so yeah, we, we do work for a lot of clients. So the, the content refining was born out of writing articles for my own portfolio and then also um, selling to people that, that wanted that, that service. We always say that we, we can't match. Anytime we try and match voice, it doesn't work well. So if someone's wanting to really write in a specific voice, their best to go and and do that themselves or build an in-house team. What writing services, content refiners one, um, can do well is fairly vanilla um, in terms of personality, a highly informative, useful articles that will predictably rank well in Google. That's what the those types of services can do well. Really sort of getting a personality through is challenging, but using um, standardized content briefs, um, standardized layouts. You can get that consistency of content, but you just you, the trade-off that you need to make if you're outsourcing is often it needs to come across as fairly vanilla in terms of personality. And do you give consultancy as to the layout of the website and uh, the topics covered and all that? Yeah, so 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 a few different businesses are are different. Um, content refined focuses on doing sort of the full end to end from working with somebody that's, that's got a site new to building a site and coming up with the strategy. So how do we cover whatever the the topic is, whether it be soccer, are we looking at, you know, the Barcelona team and the trades that are happening? Is it like, what's the topic that we're looking to cover? And then coming up with the strategy around what are the keywords that people are searching for and creating a content strategy, a content map that's going to get created, and working that through all the way through to publishing the content. So the aim with where the content refined business sits in the market is to be a push-button solution for end-to-end content marketing service. Therefore, do you use specialized software to uh, get the gist as to what people are looking for or searching? 
I yeah, see. so there's a lot of a lot of tools out there. Ahrefs, SEM Rush are a couple of popular ones right now that you can put in keywords that you're interested in, and then see how many people are searching for them, and then also how difficult they would be to rank. And that's that's kind of where the magic happens is being able to identify keywords that haven't yet been really well covered, and then creating content to really well to cover them really well, and then that helps helps that site site rank. John, there are uh, website developers uh, that that need to use different languages to reach different markets throughout the world. Therefore, they have the option of switching from English to Spanish to Russian, etc. Therefore, a content writer, okay, if he writes in English, how can you make sure that the translation to Spanish (laughs) is really and truly the message that you want to convey? A lot of people don't worry about that until they're at a certain size. So people primarily write for their target market's language, whether that be English or Spanish or Portuguese, whatever, whatever language it might be that they're, that they're looking to create the content around. They focus on that first. And until they get to a certain size, they generally don't worry about that the the internationalizing the site there are wordpress plugins that allow you to do this google translate will do this automatically for sites and that's why a lot of people don't worry about it because google translate does an okay job you know not not great but okay gets get the gist of it and you know um that it's translated and so yeah predominantly it's something that people don't worry about until they get a lot bigger than than um you know call it like a a passion project or like a project like a a side income project once it gets becomes you know kind of the hundred thousand dollar a month range uh that's when people start to i think really look at that okay how do we start expanding beyond our target language market What, what just to make a small addition on this what i noticed living in spain is that most people here have their translation switched on by default whereas I personally would do it manually. No, it's very rare that I come across a website that's not in English anyway. So I would, if I come across a Portuguese website, I would manually translate it with a click. But the Spanish people have them automatically translated. So once they visit my blog, I see it show up on their phones directly in Spanish using Google Translate. So I guess, as you said, now they get the gist of what I'm saying on my blog. And I, I guess if you're selling a product, for example, or you have some legal terms, that's where you would want to be extra careful about what kind of language you're using and use professional translators. That's, that's a good point. Okay, therefore, if I have developed a website and I'm doing relatively well and I, I'm getting tired of it and maybe I want to switch to something else, Therefore, can I sell it to you or you help me market it? What service do you provide in that respect? Yes. Yeah, so, so Motion Invest is the business and, and Spencer, Spencer Hawes and, and myself and Kelly started, started that project uh, a little year, almost two years ago now. And that business is all about being the most efficient place to buy and sell content sites. So this type of, of asset class. Um, looking to be a place to to be someone to efficiently come to be able to buy and sell an income producing content site. So to answer your question, we do both. So we 
if someone comes to us and says that they're looking to sell their site, we aim to within 24 hours, give them an, an offer that we would, and sometimes it's almost instantaneously on what we would pay to, to pay for it in, in cash right now and, and buy it. And so people can get money in sort of 24 hours if selling their site, or we offer the service of uh, listing the site on our marketplace. And that structure, we look like a, you know, what you'd see from a, a real estate broker um, or a real estate agent of listing listing sites for sale. We aim to offer both. Some people want a fast sale um, and we do a straight buy where we will pay with our own capital, um, buy their site and list it uh, on a marketplace. Or some people will come to us and say, great, I'm okay holding it for, you know, a, a week or a month until the site sells and getting a little bit more money under that structure. And then we just take a, a real estate agent fee um, and, and list it on the site and manage that process of, of helping both the seller and buyer through the process of buying and selling the site. And how do you assess the, uh, the contents and uh, the value? How do you manage to do that in such a short time? Yeah, so it's a lot of tools um, So we and, and big team. So we use a bunch of tools that we'll look at. Google Analytics is a tool that looks at the traffic on the site, the trajectory of the traffic, get the earnings proof, verify the traffic by putting it into tools like SEMrush and Ahrefs to, to help verify that traffic, looking at the backlink profile. It's about a 30-step process that we run through for each of the sites. And then... Ultimately, what these sites are selling for is a multiple on their earnings. And so the same as the stock market will sell for a price to earnings ratio right now, you know, depends, but it's like, you know, 20s, like the value end, 40 is the, like the normal end, kind of, kind of crazy town um, territory right now. These assets sell for three times to four times right now in, in the current market, the annual earnings of the of the website. So if a website's making $100,000 a year, it'll sell for somewhere between $300,000 and $400,000 as the price. And then that range will get adjusted based on all those factors that I just talked about of, is the site growing? When we ran the site through tools that looked at the copyright, is all of this content original? The backlinks that are going to the site, are these backlinks real and relevant and naturally created? Or have they done some sketchy search engine optimization strategies to help artificially inflate the site? Um, so those are all the factors that we look at to sort of adjust this, the starting point. And then we use a Dutch auction method. So we will start the price at where we think it's a little, you know, potentially a little above fair market value. And then every day the price drops until, until it gets purchased. Um, and that's the, that helps reduce the back and forth conversation about being a, an efficient place and uh, gets us to a fair market price for, for all the sites. Therefore, the seller would set a range of prices, maybe? So, so we set the range that we're prepared to list it at to keep the marketplace reasonably fair and so that people know the site they're looking at there is, in our view, a, a, a fair valuation. And then the seller can choose to list with us or not list with us based on like, so a seller doesn't, can't come to us and say, I've got a site that's making a thousand dollars a month and I want to sell it for $500,000. Yeah. 
we won't, we won't list that because that just decreases the quality of, of our marketplace. Okay, and therefore you go for realistic prices. Yeah. And uh, the value is paid in US dollars only. Do, do you use US dollars and you limit yourself to that or? We'll take anything. So we'll, I mean, we'll take cryptocurrency, we'll, we'll deal with cryptocurrency. We, we can deal with, um, we can almost make any scenario work. So if someone wants to pay in Bitcoin, we can make that happen. If someone wants to pay in a, in a you know, a currency that we don't have a bank account in, euros, we can find ways of making that, that happen. Interesting. Okay. And do you do any anti-money laundering um, find-outs or questionnaires or something like that? Yeah. We do an AML check on on people. Um, require, you know, know your customer um, is is a requirement so so we do a i forget what the the acronym is for the list that we so we we, we identify all the individuals that we're, we're working with um get an asset purchase agreement signed for every deal and then run those names through the is it fincen the the anti-money laundering list to, to make sure that, that we're dealing with and uh, we know who we're dealing with so we find out who we're dealing with and then run it through the the list and you can do that um, even within a day? We can get that price to people immediately, and then the paperwork might take an extra day. But yeah, we can we can do that check in, in a day. And uh, obviously, I understand that taxes would be the responsibility of, of the seller, right? Uh, yeah. You don't go into that? Can I just, uh, yeah, I mean, when we talk about earnings, how do you calculate that? Yeah, so for these sites, we calculate it based off of, we do basically a straight revenue. A lot of these sites, their costs of operating are incredibly low. So it's like, call it $30 a month of costs of hosting and an email provider and maybe a plugin or two. And then the revenues all above that with the one big cost being the content. And so everyone chooses to on how they deal with that, but we consider that the content costs to be an ad back because the content that has been produced to date is what's generating the revenue to date. And so it's become fairly industry standard to consider content as an ad back and then validating the costs of like hosting. And when you know the cost can get down to like $30 a month, uh, we just do it based off of a multiple on revenue, which is um, in these types of assets, almost equivalent to profit. Okay. And so that makes sense. Now, I think this would interest my dad as well, but... I also have discussed many times with my wife about potentially buying a website for her. She's really interested in childhood and pregnancy topics. And I coincidentally, I see that you've got one momhall.com on your website for sale. So if we were to buy such a website, not this one in particular, but I'm talking in general, once a buyer makes this purchase, how can he evaluate as a first-time buyer what real amount of work will go into it and not going over their head? Yeah, um, we, we like to do these calls. We like to do a call similar to this with all, all especially first-time buyers. Uh, we have repeat buyers who money sent, thanks, handle the transfer. We, we, we're happy to have the calls with the first-time buyers to, to try and establish the, some realistic expectations on if you sit on this, like if you buy a site, sit on it and do nothing, it will go down. It will, you, you need to keep putting up the content, maintaining the site. There's some work associated with it. And so we generally say, 
you know, expect to put in a couple hours a week of just like taking care of the asset, making sure it doesn't, you know, checking your analytics, making sure your page looks okay and you don't have weird conflicts happening with you with something on, on WordPress. And then your growth initiatives are on top of that. And so, you know, budget plan and budget that you need to be putting out content. You can determine what the content plan is. Feel free to, and then we will, we're always happy to set them up with people like the content refine team to chat about, to have sort of a no cost conversation about what would a content strategy look like. So though that first conversation is always highly dependent upon the level of expertise that the person is coming in with and what their skill sets are. And then what's usually people have, all of us have gaps in our competencies and that first conversation is about, okay, what's, what's your gap? Are you going to be really wanting to produce the content yourself? Um, but you're, you're missing the technical expertise. How can we either, you know, solve that gap and what's the cost for that? And, and so that's how we try and align expectations with what people need to do to see the results that we want them to see, which is a significant growth in the business. Okay. And in terms of, let's say I'm more interested in investment classes in general so i wouldn't want to spend time actually i want to sell my own blog and whenever i have something successful my interest is in selling it and so what i'm getting at is there is there some kind of fund or can i outsource the operations of the website to someone who knows better than i do and especially in terms of my example with my wife, for example, can there be a transition between buying the website, having it managed, having her kind of learning along the way, and maybe a year down the line taking full ownership? Yeah. And so I like to say that people that are looking to do it 100% passive, this is not maybe the asset class to do. People that try and go the 100% passive route, it's a real challenge understanding, not, not trying to eat the elephant all in one bite and understanding like, okay, I'm going to learn this part of the operations while I outsource these other pieces that are missing. And there's lots of opportunities to do that. So some people outsource the content first, and that's where a service like Content Refine can help. And there are managed service solutions. One of my other businesses that is involved in building these kinds of sites also offers a management solution where we keep the site online and we produce content. But that's, that's enough to kind of like, you know, keep the baseline going, produce a little bit of growth. But for, you know, we, we, I really encourage people that if they're going to get into this asset class, that they need to have some level of active involvement. This isn't just the type of thing that you can just look at once a quarter and see how it's, do, how it's doing. I've had websites that I've only looked at once a quarter and they generally go in a downward direction over, over time. So. Yeah, I think the I think that's that's my key message to people is that there are there are solutions to filling in your gaps, some nearly complete managed solutions. But if it's if it's if you're treating this as a if you're if the expectations is this will be a fully passive investment, that's going to be a, a challenging proposition for you to to overcome the all the nuances that you need to be able to handle. Just let me finish my point on the. The funds, because I've been seeing a lot of funds popping up over the past two years. Yeah. So, so you're skeptical about being able to pull that off. I do have some concerns around some of the funds. What I'm highly skeptical of is somebody buying a site themselves personally, putting it online and never touching it and, and treat, trying to treat that as a fully passive investment. 
these because of those challenges that I just talked about, funds have popped up in the space. Those funds that come from an experienced operator, incentive alignment. I do have a lot of not a lot. I think it's I think all of these attempts are with the best interest in mind. But these sites will have some natural fluctuation within Google. Some will go up, some will go down. If you if you own one site and the operator of that fund owns many sites, but you're only involved exposed to the one and he has a, his portfolio goes up and this one goes down. Why is he going to work on the one that just went down that you're exposed to? I think there's a few challenges with the funds. I think it's all going to shake out and I, I hope it gets pulled off successfully. But I think what you see is significant. The, the fees that need to get charged end up being a fairly significant to get the right kind of operator involved. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what's happening in the space with funds rolling up these kinds of assets. I think they, some of them will be successful and some will not. So we're just early days for these kinds of setups. Yeah. Okay. Talking about uh, personal involvement by the owner, don't you think that sometimes the, the value of the websites can be artificially high because the owner does not factor his own time? He doesn't charge the website his own for his own time and he might be working very long hours to make it successful and then he sells it and then the, the purchaser would find that uh, it takes a lot of time and energy. Most of these sites that, that at least I'm exposed. So there's some sites online where there's, if there's a community and they're actively involved, be like selling a podcast, right? Like, you know, the person's got to do, do, do the talk. If there's no one doing the talk, then, then nothing's happening. A lot of these sites are, are highly content driven with the only interaction being a contact form and an email. Other sites depends on the business model. So, so what I'd say is the amount of time that is needed from the owner is fairly understood with the content sites um, where it's just putting content out needs to be worked on, but can be worked on any time and you're getting a few emails in. There's other business models, online business models, whether it be maybe it's a membership or maybe it's a training or a, a community where the owner's heavily involved because of that concern around, well, how integral is this owner operator to the continued success of this business? I don't buy those assets and I, we don't list those assets at Motion Invest. Um, we list assets that have a fairly understood level of involvement from the owner, which is these, these content sites. With regards to COVID-19, did you see a positive or a negative effect? On balance, positive with the type of sites that, that so e-commerce, e-commerce grew significantly. So anything that I was exposed to e-commerce, so affiliate sites where you, where they get traffic from Google, send that traffic off to the e-commerce store and then make an affiliate commission. So traffic comes from Google, goes to your website, your website then sends them to Amazon, they buy a product, you get an affiliate commission. All those kinds of sites saw a lift in traffic and then display site, display ad. The other sort of main monetization method is display advertising. So you go to a website and you see an ad and that person got paid for showing that ad. And immediately in March, ad rates fell when people sort of froze spending um, and said, wait, what's happening here? And so this is, this is you know, a year ago. And then since then, ad rates, ad rates uh, increased fairly rapidly. And so that on balance, it went up. However, those sites 
we're much more exposed to the general movements of the economy in terms of if you owned a travel site for the last year, it hasn't done very well. People aren't traveling. If you owned a site on how to clean your house and how to sanitize things, it's done extremely well. As a whole, e-commerce increased, display ads immediately dropped and then increased above above baseline, above where they were pre, pre-COVID in terms of how much people were spending on ads. But everything e-commerce went up, display ad sites, some were up, some were, were down, and it was sort of as you would expect, you know, the hotel, restaurant, bar, that kind of stuff was down. It would be interesting to see now. Um, hopefully, COVID will be behind us soon. What will happen? <laughs> Whether we go yeah. back to where we uh, stood before or things will change forever, maybe? It's interesting. John, well, one thing that always boggles my mind is this. You are reviewing products or services and you have a website and you generate income. Therefore, you are tempted to promote uh, those services or products that give you the highest income. On the other hand, I think that for the long term, it's extremely important that you are credible. How should developers balance this out? Yeah, it's it's a personal choice for for everyone, um, how they balance it out. There's sort of the, the two sides of the spectrum of getting all the products, trying them yourself, taking the photos, really, really being the best in class at at that reviewing of that product. So that's kind of called like the best in class. And then there's the sort of acceptable level of transparently communicating the level of expertise that you have and that you've done you've done your your research. Anyone is a is an incremental expert over over somebody that hasn't done that that yet done that research. And so if you if you have something around you know, best golf finder for fog. And then you can then go find all that are specialized in, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing or not, um, but, but can sort, do that research to say, here's all the ones and here's the specs that that's useful research to, to communicate ahead of time. And so, yeah, I think we always, I always recommend that people stay away from, you know, artificially communicating their level of expertise or experience with the product. So my next question would be about buying and integrating or on the other hand, selling. So let's take an example with my site. I'm writing about finance mostly, and mostly I cover the European market. What if I wanted to expand to the US and I would buy a finance site that's already doing well within the US? How easy is it to just take its content insert it into mine and redirect everything. And on the, on the other hand, if I had to sell my website, now my website is under my own name, right? It's joangalea.com. If someone were to buy it, how problematic is it to maybe put it onto a generic domain? So the actual moving of the domains isn't overly problematic. The, so to answer your first question, the, what would be the process? You'd want to map out the content to understand what was already covered, what wasn't covered, and look to make sure that you consolidate posts to make this, the integration seamless, not that it's you got two articles answering the same, you know, let's call it a finance question. What is a PE ratio? You don't want to have two articles saying the same thing. And so you consolidate, see what all those pieces of content are that need to move, and then consolidate it. You know, I, I talk about it like you're moving into a bigger house, but you still only have one kitchen. And so make sure you don't, you don't want to have two coffee machines on the counter. You want to have 
you know, pick your pick your favorite and go with it. Maybe, maybe there's an espresso. You know, I know you guys, you, Europeans love your coffee, so maybe you've got a few, yeah. couple coffee <laughs> machines on your counter. Um, That's true, actually. <laughs> and then the the second question part, the question of what we did, do you have an issue selling your site with, with it being gingala.com? And I would say the answer would be yes. It's going to be more challenging for you to sell a branded domain than um, and we, we would likely not list it for that reason. Like I think, especially you've got podcasts, you've got, we would look at it from the way we would value it is based on strip out any sponsored posts, strip out any, anything that is coming that is just coming as a result of organic traffic and look to identify the revenue generated from that. And then the multiple would be attached to just that revenue versus the revenue generated because you are who you are and you have connections and, and sponsored posts. And so, so, that you know if you were ever to looking to sell i you know i would yeah think that moving away but i think that i think you know my guess is in your situation you're probably gonna be pretty happy to have that site forever um and so mm-hmm. optimizing for your name is and initial success is probably the the right move yeah perhaps my i didn't define my question that uh, properly but it's good that you mentioned the other stuff so technically there is no big issue with changing a domain name or importing content and bulk from another domain anytime you're dealing with google the the results can be unpredictable it usually goes as expected sometimes you get a a surprising lift and sometimes you get a little bit of a a drop but in general especially if they're related so i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend and i think you you raised the question but like i wouldn't recommend someone move a food blog over to a finance blog that's just going to confuse everything um, but a finance, U.S. finance to European finance, that's that's how, related. How about, though, if, let's say I find a nice website in terms of content and profits, but I don't like the domain, but I would have previously bought or owned a much better domain in my head uh, for this particular website. What about switching the domain? Have you seen that? I'd say like, it would be like three times out of five, no issues. One times out of five, it goes better than expected. It's like, oh, Google now likes the domain more and for whatever reason it's gone up. And one time out of five, your traffic's cut in half. In general, I like to change as few things as possible, like fix the small problem, the low-hanging fruit problems, but not make any drastic moves on on a recently acquired site because you know you probably changed, may have changed registrars, may have changed hosts, uh, changed the IP as a result. And then Google's just got to, take a little bit of time to digest that difference. And so I guess the, the technical answer is, yeah, shouldn't be an issue, but there's always a risk when you're messing with Google. And like in terms of what to do with these websites, do you think that the biggest opportunities are in flipping or in buying for the long term, maybe building up a portfolio? Maybe in crypto, it would be the same as whether you should buy Bitcoin and huddle it. Or buy the shit coins and trade them for profit just to have more Bitcoin, but something like that, no, as an analogy to the websites, would you perhaps specialize in just improving certain websites and you buy whatever website it is, knowing that you can improve it and flip it in eight months, or is it more long-term thinking that gives the best results? So it really depends on the person's strengths. What I've seen that has been really impressive is some of the people that have done some some really impressive flips. 
in some recent days. So mentioned Spencer, he's interviewed a couple of people that bought a website on Motion Invest that was doing call it a hundred dollars a month, a thousand to eight thousand a month. Huge earnings lift as a result of adding a bunch of content, fixing some low-hanging fruit, SEO issues. That's a skill set where it takes a real operator to to improve. I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. Um, but you need to have the skill set to be able to do that and the discipline to consistently execute it. I think the the hodling of of the sites is a is a solid strategy as well. If you have that the sort of the financing structure behind that, that that's a bigger. I think that's those that are pulling that off successfully have a calm like it's. You know, people that like to sprint on a project and like, oh, I'm going to work hard. This one project full focus. And those that like to have the machine and the system and they line up the financing. So like, how can I get a little bit of debt? How can I get a little bit of leverage on this thing? How can I run it out for the long term? And, you know, if you're buying it at 3X with a little bit of leverage, you know, that can model out to a pretty impressive uh, return. And so, yeah, I think that, I think it really depends on the person, on what what their strengths are. But recently, I've been super impressed with some of the people pulling off some really impressive gains in a short period of time with the flipping model. Okay, and I have a question to my dad now. Given what we discussed today, what would be your biggest concerns? Like, what would prevent you from buying a website based on what you know now? Well... uh... I still have to uh, study further. Digest everything. No? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> he always pushes me to act quickly, but you need to buy or sell when you know what you're doing, 100%, not just speculating. Well, first of all, you have to get intrigued. Then you uh, extend your knowledge, you study. And then you go for it. Uh, I don't dilly-dally normally. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is a subject that I find interesting. This thing that COVID, sometimes it's a plus, sometimes it's a minus. It's also important because it can get stability into into the product. It's not something that fluctuates, you know, up and down uh, very variable according to the economic conditions or other conditions like we have seen. But uh, what I can say is that I'm getting more and more interested. I think for the time being, it's already something for somebody my age. Another question that I, that I had was the fees that, that you charge, um, uh, the brokerage fees, because I imagine that if you buy from me directly i don't think that you charge any fees right um but uh, for brokerage i'm sure that uh, you have to charge fees otherwise <laughs> you're doing it for free right and john just to tie up on what i asked my dad how many people with this kind of profile do you get and what's the typical uh, process for them to buy a website improve it and then buy their second website what are the things to watch out for? Yeah, so yes, so someone comes and sells direct, um, no brokerage fee, but usually it's a reduced multiple for for in exchange for a faster sale, and then we buy the buy the site. Um, if someone lists on the marketplace, then we take a brokerage fee that can range from ten to twenty percent based on the size of the site and the um, if it's a repeat seller and the multiple that it sells for. So we try and keep our keep our incentives aligned. The 
Typical profile, definitely the age. So age is, is usually kind of on the buy side, isn't that like 35 age range on the buy side, sell side trends lower. Geographic location is usually North American on the buy and then a fairly globally spread on the, on the sell side, uh, specifically in terms of like, what are the, what about the people that look, you know, age stage of life as, you, as yourself, Joseph? Um, and what are the, what's that process usually look like? Usually they're, if they're a first time buyer, we like to think, you know, compared to other brokerage sites where we have some smaller sites. So somebody might come and say, Hey, I've got 200 K us to deploy on an alternative asset. That's sort of the entry point with a lot of other online brokerages and say like, you might screw up your first one, like great asset class. You might screw up your first one. We think buying one for $5,000, even though that might be a waste of time from a capital deployment standpoint and a return on investment, it's going to be great from a return on education. And so deploy, if you got 200 K to deploy, deploy a smaller amount first, buy a site, see if operating it and outsourcing it. And like, yeah, it's not going to be a great return, but, but you're going to learn, you're going to get experience. And then, you know, we, we like to, so, you know, there's some courses out there. Authority hackers, one John Dykstra's got some great courses. There's a, and you know, there's a bunch of YouTube videos out there. So we think kind of getting into the trenches and, and often, especially like, you know, it sounds like in yourself, Joseph, like a lot of the interest in this space is sort of like, you know, a significant intellectual horsepower looking to flex on some new problem, new opportunity. How can I, how can I do that? And like, how can I, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I just want to look at my charts all day. How can I kind of operate this thing? But it doesn't need to be, I don't, don't want to operate a whole business. I just want to operate like this is kind of like, you know, noodle away on this thing. And so we find those individuals that have the success are ones that come in, deploy less than their total budget. So like, John, I've got 250K to deploy. Like, cool. How about 10K first? How about 25K first on this site? Here's some training. See how it goes for six months a year. We'll still be here. Come on back and, and you know, deploy, deploy the rest when you feel like you've got the team and the structure and know what you're doing. And have made your mistakes on a, with, when the when the risks are lower. Definitely, it's a good piece of advice, John, that you're giving us. And uh, people my age, I think, should look at this uh, with more interest. Life expectancy is growing. This is something that you can do from the comfort of your home when you retire. You keep active. Um, you earn money. What else do you want? Yeah. We had uh, we had one individual that was uh, eighty eight that that bought a site and uh, yeah, was grand, working with his uh, his granddaughter on it. But he was a a lawyer and and a dentist and just yeah really really into continuing his you know super smart guy super sharp continuing his like how can I put more stuff into my brain and 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 not, that'll that's going to keep me young. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I can relate to this example, given that we're on the podcast together, me and my dad, and it's a good combination to have this experience with younger, maybe knowledge of tech. Uh, yeah, John, it's been fantastic to, to have you on. Lots of information to digest. I know you're involved in lots of websites that you, you mentioned. So could you give us a rundown of all the 
websites related to, to what we just spoke and also the courses, maybe some, some courses for people who want to look into, like you mentioned, authority hacker, and I'm sure there are two, three more. Yeah, sure. So, so the place that I kind of talk about what I do online is at website income.com. And that's kind of my, my home base of where I share my thoughts and what I do online. And then some, a couple of the items that we mentioned today was motioninvest.com, which is where we buy and sell uh, content sites, the kind of assets that we talked about. Contentrefine.com is the content marketing service. And brandbuilders.io is the, the managed solution when people are looking to, to, to get a fully managed solution for their site. And then a couple of the courses that, that or one of the sites that we recommended was Niche Pursuits that, that you mentioned, uh, Spencer, he's a partner on a couple of projects and puts out great content around all of this kind of stuff. Um, and then a couple of the courses that in general, I don't recommend courses, but a couple that are, that I know are, are quite good. And if people are choosing to deploy capital into buying a course, uh, John Dykstra at Fatstacks blog has, has some training and uh, Authority Hacker is, uh, is some, has some great training. Um, so those, those are the two training courses I recommend. And then Spencer's great for free information. Awesome. So thanks a lot again. Yeah, no, thank, thank you guys. You, John. Fun, fun to have the, the, the combo. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Cheers. So that's a wrap for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as usual, I ask you to leave a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show and all the other shows we've produced so far. Please let us know if there is any other topic that you'd like us to tackle or platform to review. We're very open for hearing from you, your opinions, whether you like the shows we're producing. And yeah, just if, you, if you've been listening to this show for the past few episodes or it's the first episode that you listen, we'd really, really appreciate if you could even just get in touch and tell us how you're finding it, what you'd like us to improve and things like that. So the email is podcast at mastermind.fm. Again, podcast at mastermind.fm. And you can also find, find us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. That's it for today from us and see you in the next episode.